0: I'm pulling out of my driveway. We all know what that means. It's time for another Drive to work. Okay, so the last four podcasts have been all about Ravnica. Um, I'm up to S. I'm almost done. So today should be the final podcast on the cards of Ravnica block. Okay, so we're up to S. Shadows of a Doubt. So this is a hybrid card. So it's an instant. It costs two mana, uh, both of which are blue or black. So it's blue or black, blue or black, two mana, both of which are hybrid. Um... Players can't search libraries this turn. Draw a card. Um, So I talked before about how the demir. when we were first trying to find the overlap between blue and black, one of the things that we found was blue and black are the two cards that interact most with libraries. They're the two colors that mill. uh, Both colors can tutor. um, Both colors can, you know, mess with your library in a couple different ways. Um, But anyway, this was a new effect, but it was a library-based effect, and it was kind of a little bit sneaky, I mean it's a cantrip, it's an instant, so the idea is somebody does something, they cast a spell to go get um, something out of the library, and then as kind of a counter spell you cast this. Um, And you, you could tell that the fact that we had to go to a brand new effect to find overlap between blue and black, like hybrid blue and black is tricky, because hybrid blue and black means there are spells that blue can cast, and black can cast. Um... And of all the colors, the colors that we have the most problem doing hybrid cards with is blue and black. Um, red and blue have a little bit of a problem at lower rarities, but at higher rarities there's a bunch of things blue and red overlap. But black and blue really um, while there's a lot of synergy and philosophically they make a lot of sense as allies, um, they're just there is the least amount of actual overlap of mechanics between those two colors than I think any color combination. Um, and the fact that we had to make a brand new effect here is kind of testament to the It's tricky. I mean, I know when we did Shadow Moor and we had to actually make a whole bunch of blue-black spells. We really, really had to get creative to do it. Okay, next, Shambling Shell. So Shambling Shell costs one black-green, so three mana, one of which is generic, one black, one green. Plant Zombie. It's a 3-1 Plant Zombie. Uh, And you can sacrifice it to put a plus-one, plus-one counter on target creature. And it's got Dredge 3. Um, So the idea is it's a 3-1. I think when we made this, we had not yet undone combat damage. So the idea here was I can get in a fight with something, put combat damage on the stack. I'm sorry, we got rid of damage on the stack uh, in in Magic 2010. This is before Magic 2010. So what you could do is you could block, put your damage on the stack so I could kill something that had a 3-toughness. Then I could sack it to get a plus-one, plus-one counter on something. Oftentimes, that plus one, plus one counter might be enough to save something else in combat. Um, and then it's got Dredge, Dredge 3, so I can get it back. So the idea is I can get it, I can make it, I can play with it, I can do what I need to do. When it gets in trouble, I can just sacrifice it, uh, and then I can get it back to, to redo it all over again. Um, and this definitely was um, one of the stronger Dredge cards in Limited. Uh, it not, there's some other cards that are stronger and constructed, um, but this did a lot of good work, especially in Limited. Okay, next, Sins of the Past. Four black, black, so a total of six mana, two of which is black, sorcery. Until end of turn, you can cast instants of Sorcery from your graveyard for free. Uh, if a card goes to the graveyard, exile it, and then you exile card name. So the idea basically is, um... I play this card, cost six mana, I now can cast any instant of Sorcery out of my graveyard without paying its mana cost, I can just do it for free, um... Anything I cast out of my graveyard using this effect will get exiled, and this card exiles itself. Um, so anyway, this is another uh, black being king of the graveyard. Normally, the biggest way black's king in the graveyard is getting creatures back. That Traditionally, what it does is black is king of reanimation. Um, it both has um, it both has an effect which put creatures into play and creatures put them back in your hand. Um, but most of the time, when black messes around the graveyard, that's what it's doing. But this is say, hey. Black is king in the graveyard, not just with creatures, um, but with other stuff as well. And this is it, doing it with spells. Um, and the flavor here really is just you're, ca- you're, you're kind of directly casting it out of the graveyard. Um, this ability also sometimes is done in red uh, in sets that have flashback. That granting things in the graveyard flashback is something we've given to red. Uh, casting them outright is black, so there's a little bit of overlap between black and red here. Um, and red, we tend to only do that when we're doing Flashback, not just... Red doesn't do it naturally. But, anyway. Next, Sisters of Stone Death. Four black, black, green, green. So, eight mana total. Four generic, two black, two green. Legendary Gorgon, it's a 7-5. Um, so, for green, you can activate it. Target creature blocks card name this turn of Fable. So, you can make things block it. Black and green, exile a creature blocking or blocked by card name. And two and a black, put a creature exiled by Cardim onto the battlefield under your control. So there's a bunch of things going on. First off, remember, Death Touch didn't exist yet. This, uh, this is pre-Death Touch. So we made a Basilisk. We wanted to do something Death Touchy. So the middle ability that requires both make color mana basically says, okay, anything that gets in a fight with this thing, you can destroy. I mean, technically you can exile, but you can get rid of it. Um, and then the cool thing is the green part of it makes things fight your thing. Aha, you have to block me. And the black one says, okay, now that you've exiled it, you can sort of reanimate it, if you will. Um, so the idea with this card is, it's, a, it's, a, um, now, the Sisters of Stone Death, I, uh, I think were the leader, were they the leaders of Golgari? I'm not sure whether they were the leaders of Golgari or whether they were just, um, like first lieutenant of Golgari or something. Um, Think they were the leaders, I think. Um, but anyway, the idea is, it's we've made a, we've made a gorgon or a medusa, a gorgon. Um, that's a fancy term. medusa was a gorgon, so uh, in magic, the creature type is gorgon. Um, so the idea here is, we wanted a creature that was a, essentially a gorgon, and we wanted to make sure that sort of did it, you know, turn things to stone. Um, and so we did that, and then we sort of did a few other abilities that allow you to make use of that one of which is to force the combat, and one of which is to make use of it once you sort of turn them to stone, that they become your stone puppets, essentially. Um, but anyway, I, I, uh, it's funny looking at things pre... Like, nowadays when we make a, a Gorgon, like, it just has Death Touch, for starters. You know, that's just something that... We now have a, a tool in our toolbox that is easily used. Um, so it's interesting to see what we did when that wasn't quite as available to us. Okay, next, Spectral Searchlight. It's an artifact that costs three. You tap it, you choose a player, and you put one mana of any color into that that player's mana pool. Um, So the idea is interesting. This card was originally made to be a card for multiplayer play. That essentially what you're doing is I'm helping somebody else cast a spell because I can put mana not just in my own mana pool, but into other people's mana pools. The problem at the time was... um, We tend to make cards for multiplayer in normal, non-commander products that at least you could understand why they can be played in two-player. And so the reason this was made, the reason this was a two-player card, was because of Mana Burn. So for those that are unaware, uh, in Magic 2010, we got rid of Mana Burn. What Mana Burn is, it's an ability that tells you... um, It it, it goes back to the early days of Magic. Um, The idea was... Whenever, you, whenever your turn ends uh, if you have any or not turn, sorry whenever, your, whenever a phase ends if you have unspent mana in your mana pool it would clear and then it would do damage to you um, and it was really, really confusing um, the funny thing is the story is that I fought to keep mana burn during 6th edition Bill was going to take mana burn out um, and, and the reason basically is that mana burn is something you have to learn early in the game that just does not come up very often uh, I mean, the story I often tell is when we were considering getting rid of it, I asked my design team to stop, to play as if there was no mana burn, and after a month I came back and asked them how it went, and nobody had a game in which mana burn mattered, uh, which was a big telling sign that maybe this was a problem. Um, but anyway, if you ever use Mana Flare or you know any sort of um, spell that allowed you to get multiple mana into play. Uh, so sometimes, like, I, I got more mana that I could spend than that would burn me. There was some flavor to it. It wasn't that I disliked mana burn. Um, it just kind of wasn't carrying its weight. Like, one of the things about Magic is we keep coming up with new ideas that we think are good enough that we want to add to the game in general. You know, that we want to go evergreen, if you will. And there's only so many things you can teach new players. And so, as we add things to the game, we have to find things to take out of the game. And mana burn was one of those things that, it added flavor. I'm not thinking of the vacuum. There wasn't, you know, I, one of my favorite magic puzzles of all time it made, made use of burn. There, there was a, an elegance to it in the right circumstance, but it just became one of those things where it really, you had to learn it early. It didn't make a lot of sense. It really sort of, it wasn't a rule that was carrying its weight. And that's something that you always have to look at when you have rules is, is this carrying enough weight? Is this, is it worth making people learn how to do it? Uh, And in the end, we said no. We didn't think it was. Uh, We got some backlash when we got rid of Mana Burn. Uh, I still people write in from time to time asking us to bring Mana Burn back. Um, We might make a spell one day that's essentially like, well, you know, with this this enchantment in play, there's Mana Burn. Uh, But I'm pretty sure Mana Burn itself is not coming back. Um, People sort of grumbled a little bit when it went away, and then sort of everyone mostly forgot about it. So uh, it's a sign that it's, you know, not a thing. But anyway, the reason I bring up Mana Burn was... It used to be that if I could give this to my opponent and mana burn existed I could creatively often do damage to my opponent by giving them mana at a time I thought they couldn't use it, Um, you know, in combat or different things. Now the funny thing is you didn't know they couldn't use it because they had a card in their hand so sometimes you'd you'd use it and they would go, oh I need that and they would use it so, um, it's still the the main function of it though was to be able to give mana to other people, Uh, that still exists, Um, but the the mana burn part sort of went away so it's it doesn't make a lot of sense anymore as a two-player card. It makes sense as a multiplayer card. Okay, moving on. Stinkweed imp. Two and a black for a one-two imp. It has flying, and uh, whenever it does combat damage, you destroy target creature. Um, and it has uh, dredge five. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, so this was another dredge card. Um, it's a one-two. So once again, this is a creature that in modern day uh, probably would be—just have death touch. The idea here is it's a one-two—well, not quite death touch, but it's a one-two, and it says, hey, if you somehow can't block me, I get to kill something. Um, But it's only a one-two, so it doesn't take a lot for you to be able to deal with it, but you need a flyer. Um, And so if you somehow don't have a flyer, if this can get um, through—so I mean, I guess this is not quite death touch, although— this was trying to play in Death Touch space. Probably we made a card kind of like this again, it's kind of like, you know, deal with this thing. It's going to kill creatures, or else, you know. Um, but the thing about it is, and which made this car a little potent, was that even if you managed to kill it, I had a dread so you could bring it back. And so, um, usually, if you could somehow deal with their flyers and then this could get through unaided, it could just decimate their side. So, um, it, it turned out to be something that, that in the right circumstances, could, could be powerful. Okay, next, Sunforger It's an artifact that costs three, it's an equipment. Uh, equipped creature gets plus four, plus six. Um, for red and white, you can unattach it, uh, and then you could uh, go into your deck and get any red or white instant um, with a converted mana cost of four or less, and then you get to cast it for free. So the idea essentially was that it was, it was, a, it, it was a sword that you could use as a, as a weapon, plus four, plus six, pretty potent, um, but, is that right, plus four, plus six, for three? Oh, it costs three to equip. That's why I wrote down, plus four, plus six. Um, the idea is it was a big sword, you could do a lot of damage with it, but you could sort of, uh, use it to cast spells out, out of your graveyard. I'm sorry, out of your deck. Um, small red and white spells. Uh, usually small red and white spells were, were control spells. Um, sometimes combat tricks, but, um, anyway, uh, this was the red way. I, I said we had artifacts that connected to each of the each of the um, guilds. So this was the red-white artifact. Uh, and the idea is kind of cool, is red-white is the soldier guild. This is a, um, a sword. Look, it just can be used regularly as a sword. But hey, if you're in red and white, then you can start using it to not only use it as a sword, but to sort of get spells with it, to make, to make it do magical spells. Um, and it was, uh, it was definitely a popular card. Sadek, Lord of Secrets. Three blue-blue, black-black, vampire 5-5, five, five, flying... Uh, combat, any combat damage it dealt to the player oh no, I'm sorry any combat damage it, it dealt at all oh, any combat damage it dealt turned into plus one plus one counters um, so anytime it deals damage I, th- I think to the player anytime it deals damage to the player instead of the player being damaged it instead gets plus one plus one counters on it um, and then it also mills them for that many cards So the idea behind this card is um, it starts as a 5-5. So let's say I hit you. Um, You don't block me and I hit you. Then what happens is I mill you for 5 and I get 5 plus 1 plus 1 counters. Um, So the idea is as I do damage to you, I get bigger and bigger, but I'm not killing you with damage. I'm milling you out. And the reason I think we built it this way, um, I think early on it both milled you and did damage, and what happened was you just killed them with damage long before you milled them out. Um, and so we changed it to make it this thing where it milled, but we liked the idea of the milling effect getting stronger and stronger. So we added in instead of damage, we took off the damage part because um, originally, um, originally it was like I, I, when I do combat damage to you and to equal to damage, I mill you. But I was killing you with damage before I was doing that. So then we took off the combat da- when combat damage you don't doing damage, but it felt bad. So we then instead said, okay, well your combat damage turns into plus one plus one counters, then it feel like it did something. Um, and it got bigger and sort of made the mill effect start to snowball, which we thought was cool. Um, Sadik by the way, was the leader of the Demir. He's a vampire. Um, and one of the things I talked before about how we took our iconics and we divvied them up by guild, well, we decided that the vampires made a lot of sense in Demir. They're sneaky. They're subtle. Um, I mean, obviously, vampires on Innistrad are black-red, but uh, we, we, liked, we liked them here on up being more black-blue. Um, one of the things we haven't done a lot with which I really would love to do one time is I, I feel like psionic vampires is a cool place to play in blue um, the idea that they um, I mean we saw in Kaladesh there's a, a Yeheni is a vampire that steals energy uh, so that's starting getting into that mind space but uh, I, I love the idea of taking vampires that you know, drain you but drain different things from you rather than just blood I, I like playing around with that space that seems cool okay next terrarian it's an artifact that costs one enters the battlefield tap two tap and sack. you add two mana of any color to your mana pool and when it goes to the graveyard from play you get to draw a card um i think this is an erica lauer special um one of the things we're always looking for is trying to find ways to help you adjust your mana um but usually we we only want to do a little bit of it and so this is an artifact meant to help you fix your mana the trick always is trying to balance of how much mana you're getting. And this one's to be a little bit cheaper, so um, it requires you to sort of funnel mana through it. So essentially what it does is it allows you to sort of convert mana into color. But then when you use it, it gets you your card back. So the idea is it's kind of a little filter mechanic, but you don't lose any card advantage from using it. Um, but the fact that you don't get the card until you, you sacrifice it definitely encourages you using it sooner rather than later. Um, just because you want to sort of filter and then, you know, get your card advantage when you can. Okay, next, Three Dreams. It's a sorcery that costs four and a white, so five mana total, one of which is white. Uh, and you could go into your library and get up to three auras and uh, put them in your hand. Um, so one of the things is what we call tutoring, which is going to your library and getting a card and putting it in your hand. We let, Every color gets to tutor things that are appropriate for itself. Um, And we allow white—white interacts a lot with auras and interacts with equipment. So we usually let white tutor for auras and tutor for equipment. This time it's tutoring for auras. Um, Like I said, this set had an aura theme, so we made an aura tutor. Um, And that's one of the things I find very funny looking back through this is sometimes we put a theme in and we make it pretty strong, but for the test of time, like, if you play limited, you know, there's a very strong aura theme and auras matter. But if you kind of look back at Ravnica through the the lens of history— I don't think many people even remember there was an aura theme so it's kind of fun looking back on oh yeah it was there there's this there's this you know there were a lot of pieces to it but just it's funny that how what defines a set is more by the markers of what people remember over time and so certain aspects like the guilds obviously people still remember but the aura theme eh, it's something that sort of isn't doesn't really come to people's minds tulsamir wolf Blood, four green white so six mana four generic one green one white uh, it's a legendary elf warrior. It's 3-4. Um, other green creatures you control get plus 1, plus 1. Other white creatures you control get plus 1, plus 1. And you can tap to make a legendary 2-2 two, two, two green, green and white token named Voha. Uh, Voha is Tulsimir's wolf, uh, the wolf that he rides. So I think, this is, I think this is... No, this wasn't a leader. This is just one of the Selesnians. The, um, the the Selesnians the are, are led by... Uh, it was a collective, not not a, not one thing. They're, they're a legend creature that usually is more than one thing. Uh, but this is one of the champions of the Celestians. Um, oh, this is the cycle that rewards you for playing both colors, because obviously a green creature is bigger or a white creature is bigger, but a green and white creature gets you know gets plus two plus two. So note that the legendary wolf, because it's green and white, really is a four four. That whenever you get Voha out, as long as Tulsimir is in play, it's a four four wolf. Um, but anyway, I should note, by the way, I, I mentioned this cycle, how there was a cycle that cared about both colors. Um, the way it worked is one of the cycles was the legendary that was the leader of the guild and that one didn't care about color, it just did whatever top-down matched the leader of the guild. And then the one that was the secondary that, wa- that was the lieutenant or whatever that wasn't the leader, that is the one that had the, the, color, the color-carrying uh, mechanic that we spread through. Um, which is how we know that Tulsimir is not the leader of the Lesnians, but one of their champions. Okay, next, Vidalcan and Trancer. Three and a blue, Vidalcan Wizard, one, four, blue and tap. Um, put the top two cards of target players' library into their graveyards, or mill them, if you will. Uh, so the idea is we wanted Demir to have an opportunity to mill people out. We didn't want to make it. Uh, we, like I said, we explored with the idea of should it be something more important. And obviously in Return to Ravnica, we really, even more seriously, we almost made the mechanic of the guild a milling mechanic. But uh, in, uh, in original Ravnica, I think we always knew it was just a supporting theme. Um, we liked the idea that blue-black was tricky. And one of the ways it was tricky was that it had an alternate route to victory. That one of the things that Demir could do is it could beat you sometimes in ways you weren't prepared for. And the idea that every once in a while it could just mill you out you know, sometimes it damaged you to death, but sometimes it would mill you. It really made it hard to fighting into the mirror because you, you weren't always quite sure what was going on. Um, and this was one of the best cards. I think this is a common card, um, and it is something that's repeatable. One of the things about milling somebody out is if you're going to mill them out with one shots, you really need a lot of cards to make that work. But if you're going to mill them out with just a singular creature with one card, um, you know, if it's repeatable, then this, this card alone could do do the work. The other thing to remember that's interesting about, about milling in general is milling is more potent in Limited than it is in Constructed. Uh, the biggest reason why is Limited have 40 card decks and Constructed have 60 card decks. Um, and so uh, one of the reasons also that we like doing limited um, Milling in Limited is it's a lot faster in Limited. Because um, one of the things that happens is um, there's the aggressive milling deck where I'm just trying to mill you out as fast as I can and then there's the more slowish controlling milling deck where it's like, well, I mill you a little bit and then I run you out of cards. I keep you from being able to beat me and I run you out of cards. Um, in Limited, we want the first one more than the second one. Um, I mean, obviously, you run out of cards quicker than you do in Constructed, because your deck's two thirds the size, but still, that just makes games take longer if I have to wait till you can't draw a card. And so we like giving um, mill strategies when we do them, uh, repeatable means of way to make sure that you get them out. And so this is a good example of what we did in this set. Um, and this card was pretty potent when you got that out. You, you, when you were playing Demir, you learned to, to get afraid of the Vidalcan Entrancer. Um, the other thing that was interesting, by the way, because it's mono Blue, you could be playing a deck that didn't have black. It didn't have to even be Demir. Um, for example, there was a blue red deck that we built that you could draft. Um, I mean, blues was on, the only guild the blue was in. Blue and red each were only in one guild. Blue was in Demir, and red was in Boros, because of the nature of having four guilds with, with uh, five colors. If you have four guilds, it means you only have eight combination colors. So with ten colors, each color does not get to be twice. Um, during the course of the block, every color gets sh- gets to show up four times. So the way it worked is um, blue and red only showed up once here. Well, black, green, and white showed up twice. And then um, what was it? Uh, blue showed up, red showed up twice in um, guild pack because it had is it red blue and it had um, gruel which is red green. And then blue showed up twice in Dissension, which had Azorius, which is white blue, and it had Simic, which is blue green. So um, the idea is every every color had a, a set it showed up twice in. Um, to offset that, we made uh, some draft strategies for blue and red to play together. Um, and there was a deck I know that got played where um, there was enough stuff in blue and some stuff to r- recurse and use your your spells that there was a mill deck. There was a blue red mill deck, and this, this card actually was very important in that deck. Uh, wasn't a major deck, but it was something that uh, I, I know people enjoyed doing. Okay, next Vigamortis, which is an awesome name. Uh, two black, black sorcery. Um, reanimate. You reanimate a creature, and if green is spent, it gets a plus one, plus one counter. Okay, so the way this works is um, there's a cycle of spells that were mono colored. were two cycles of spells that were mono colored, um, and. If you spent mana um, of, its, of its guild color, then you got a bonus effect. So what this card did, and usually what it did was it tried to feel flavorfully like a, um, like we want, this spell wanted to feel like it was a Golgari spell because it was connected with black and green. So it did something that minor black could do, but something that just had, had synergy with green. Um, and reanimation is something that black and green can do, or could do. We don't support it anymore. Um, so the idea here is that I get to. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. This is not reanimate. Uh, I'm sorry. Reanimation is a black thing. I'm thinking of regeneration. Sorry, 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 sorry. Reanimate. Reanimate is a, a black thing. Uh, but but black green definitely uh, was. It, Golgari was the ones that used things out of the graveyard and reanimated things. So although green couldn't necessarily do this. Sorry, I, I read that as reanimation for a second. Um, so yeah, reanimation, uh, uh, not regeneration, but reanimation is very much a black thing what this says is I get to reanimate something um, and then I get to make it bigger if it happens to be um, if I happen to use green. So essentially, if I cast this as a one black black green spell then I, I get also get the plus and plus one counter. Um, so like I said there are two cycles of these. One going each I think one common, one uncommon one going each direction. Sorry for that confusion. Sometimes I my brain, I read one thing and my brain says something else. Okay! that gets us to Vindictive Mob. So Vindictive Mob is a human berserker, 5-5 five, five human berserker, costs four black black. So six mana, two of which is black. Um, when it enters, when it enters the battlefield, you sacrifice a creature, uh, and then it can't be blocked by sapperlings. So let's walk through. This card has a, a, a few interesting qualities to it. So one is, it's a 5-5 five, five creature, um, and uh, it is a ETB sacred creature. So we do this a bunch in black where the idea is it's a little cheaper than normal uh, but I have to sacrifice a creature to get it so 5 black black for um, a 5-5 five five, uh, especially for limited I guess it's not a horrible not a horribly great constructed card um, but basically we want you to sack a creature but then we, we, it needed a little bit of a rider on it so um, we have something we call trinket text so a trinket text is is something that doesn't matter very much but is flavorful and the idea is every once in a while, it matters uh, that is not a hundred percent. You know, it doesn't mean it never matters, but it means most of the time it doesn't matter. Um, and there are degrees by which we make trin- trinketext matter. Um, one end of the spectrum is it's purely ha-ha, you know, sort of flavor, which we really don't expect to happen much. And then to the other end of the spectrum is it's flavorful, but wow, it really is something you need to think about in the environment. This is kind of in the middle. I think the reason we added this was um, this card was just getting chumped all the time by tokens because uh, it doesn't have trample and we wanted you... We didn't really want you to chump like this and so we, we gave it Trunk text to sort of help a little bit because um, we were finding when, when this went up against a green deck that can make tokens that the fact that I can make so many tokens I can just keep throwing them at the 5-5 five five, that it didn't really do much um, and so we... Like, it originally had some much more meaningless attacks. We ended up turning into attacks that had some actual sort of meaning to it. Um, and what that means is... Now, the funny thing is, usually in casual constructed, the fact of saplings showing up is much less likely. But in limited, where the, the main token type made is saplings, it becomes, you know, pretty... Um, much more relevant. Okay, vine-lasher-kutsu. 1 in a green. It's a plant. It's a 1-1 it's one, one plant. Um, whenever a land enters your battlefield under your control, put a plus 1, plus 1 counter on it. Okay. Um, this is a fun card. It's a cool card. Probably what this card is most famous for um, is being, I think, the first landfall card before we had landfall. So Ravnica came out. So after Ravnica, let's see. Uh, it was Ravnica, then it was Time Spiral, then Lorwyn, then... Um, uh, Shards of Alara, then um, Zendikar. So four years later, we would end up making Landfall. Um, I think the thing we were trying to do here was we were trying to figure out some way to just make a cool card. The, the flavor of the Kutsu was, for those who don't know what Kutsu is, Kutu is a um, plant that, that I think is native to the southeast of the United States. Um, and it's this, it's this vine that is really, um, uh, it's almost weed-like and it grows really fast and it entangles in things and it's really hard to free. And so it's a really kind of a menace plant that it really tangles things up and causes problems. So the idea was that this spell is kind of representing that, that it's representing this, this sort of, um, this plant that's kind of growing out of control and causing problems. Um. and uh, we, so we were we were trying to sort of figure out, I'm not sure which came first I assume the mechanics came before the flavors my guess, um, but anyway we liked the idea of something that rewarded you for playing land, I mean obviously we would later realize that this is worthy of a whole mechanic um, one, of the, one of the things that's interesting by the way is one of the challenges of making a game that's you know, this year uh, will turn 24 years old is that you've just made a lot of cards. We've made, I don't know, somewhere between sixteen to 17,000 cards, I think, unique cards. Um, and so it's very, very hard now to make a mechanic that sometime in some spell we hadn't made. Um, and I know when we finally made Landfall, a bunch of people said, Hey, isn't that Vine Lash of I'm like, yeah, that was a good card. It was a good mechanic. So we fleshed it out. We made it more. So, uh, But anyway, uh, this definitely also was a fun card in that I mean, much like landfall and, and that it just kind of grows over time so you can get it out early and then by the time you know you can sort of sit back with it and then it just over time it grows becomes a, a pretty big threat okay next V2 Gazi the city tree it's a land you tap for Cullis and then for two green and white you tap and you can create a one one sapling um, So one of the things that is interesting is we made a cycle of lands. I talked about this once before. Um, And the cycle of lands, tap for colorless, and it was, I think, CD tap. Uh, One color, then the other color tap. Actually, now we say MN. Um, And uh, you did something that was relevant for the guild. Originally, I think this was um, rare, and I think we toyed with them being legendary, um, but the problem was that legendary lands, especially between before we changed the legendary role, back during Ravnica, the way it worked was if I played a legendary card and you had one, I destroyed yours. And there was a lot of not so fun gameplay, especially with lands, where I'm sort of you know we're playing lands to deal with each other's lands, and I'm cutting you off with mana because I happen to have the, the you know the one land you got, and um, uh, and. Like, there was cases with with Legendary Lands where people who weren't even playing colors of a Legendary Land would sideboard it in as a means to stop the opponent from getting the Legendary Land. Um, so anyway, we made a decision a while back to really sort of shy away from Legendary Lands. So, this card, you know, probably, I mean, it represents a specific tree, um, so it probably would be Legendary at at the time if we were supporting Legendary Lands. I think the way it worked is we would do legendary lands every once in a blue moon for like really, really pure flavor reasons, like Um, But at the time we didn't, anything we, we thought was actually getting used for, for man and stuff, we sort of shied away from it being legendary. Um, so that is why the V2 Ghazi is not a legendary land, people are wondering. Um, the thing we liked the most about this land was we were trying to just play in the space of what Celesnia wanted. Um, and the idea that Celesnia could just keep getting more members um, like, one, once again, one of the routes to victory, remember, is we were making Ravnica, so we had four guilds. We really... Selesnia uh, was overrunning. Um, Boros was sort of beating you to the punch. It was being fast and efficient. Um, Demir was being sneaky and defeating you in a way you didn't know. Uh, and Black Green was sort of constantly recycling things and slowly wearing you down through its, its, its endless. Um, so one of the things you'll notice is we wanted to make sure there were different speeds. Boros was a fast deck, um, you know, Celestia was a little, a little more mid-range, and um, Demir and Golgari were a little on the slower side. Um, so there was a full range of sort of the different speeds. We're trying to mix that up. So in limited, for example, there are different things you can do. Um, we also made blue-red into a, a tempo deck. That was the fifth deck. It's the fifth thing we sort of built for, um, for drafting purposes. Okay, next. Warp World. Five. Red, red, red. Sorcery. So eight mana, three which is red players shuffle all permanents into their libraries and they reveal that many cards off the top of the oh sorry shuffle all your permanents in your library um, so then shuffle them in and shuffle obviously then you reveal that many off the top of your library and all permanents get put into play um, and I think all spells go on the bottom of the library I believe Um, and then we made auras go last so that auras actually work if you get an aura the creatures already out to put the aura on or the permanents are already out Um, So Warp World was definitely trying to do something a little sillier. One of red's flavors is chaos, and it creates chaos. Um, And the idea here is what I'm doing is I'm making you swap your permanents for different permanents. Um, Often that means you'll go down in permanents because you're going to draw um, some spells. And so usually, let's say I have 15 permanents and I shuffle, Ah, I get back 10, 11 maybe. Um, I'm usually missing a few. depends how many spells you have. But anyway, this proved to be a really, really popular multiplayer card, partly because it does things late game. Like, one of Red's problems is a lot of the things Red does philosophically is that it's trying to beat you fast, and it's willing to give up long-term advantage for speed. The problem is, in most multiplayer formats, because there's lots of people playing, um, the games just take longer. Through politics and through the the interconnection of having to kill multiple people, the games last longer. And so Red's whole strategy of, like, I'm going to burn out but take you out before I go doesn't really work that well in a, in a multiplayer strategy. Especially it's some, like some multiplayer formats like Commander, you start with 40 life. Like, it's built in to last a little longer, which really plays against Red what Red does. So we've really spent a lot of time thinking about how can we do things that help give Red more sort of late game but in a way that really plays into Red. Uh, and Warp World wasn't actually made for that. Once again, when Ravnica came out, Commander wasn't a big thing yet. But it's really been kind of one of the beacons for Red, of saying, hey, here's a good example of a card in Red, flavorful for Red, that's very popular Commander, and popular in multiplayer plays, because it just does something for Red late game that's not just, you know, it, it's playing in a different kind of space for Red. Um, and so that has definitely been an inspiration for us. Um, now, uh, Ken then went on to make, what was it, a uh, Chaos Warp, where he was trying to do a, a a single sort of pointed thing, but he allowed it to hit enchantments, and it fizzled a lot, mean, meaning it, did, it didn't actually turn into anything often. So it ended up just kind of being a kill spell in red that wasn't really what we wanted. It sort of violated a lot of red's philosophies. You know, red's not supposed to be able to kill your enchantment, and eh, most of the time, it doesn't even get punished for it. Um, but I do like Warp World, so... Um, this definitely has inspired a lot of things. Sorry, just a water. Okay, my final card. I'm almost to Rachel school. My final card today is a very simple card. It's called Watch Wolf. It's green, white, and it's a 3-3. Three, three. Um, uh, so the, my funny story about this is that um, we were... Um, we wanted to make a nice, simple. So one of the things about green and white is green and white are the creature colors. Traditionally speaking, white gets the best cheap creatures, and green has the best creature curve, meaning you get more for your you, know, you, you get more power toughness for your for your buck um, than other colors. And so we were finding uh, we were trying to find an overlap between green or not overlap, but uh, a gold card to do in green and white. Uh, and we came upon the idea that possibly. Uh, that green-white is the color combination that would allow you to get a 3-3 three, three for only two mana. Um, so we made a vanilla 3-3. Three, three, um, and then we were trying to figure out what to do with it. And um, I remember, I think when I made this card, um, I think I originally called it Watchdog was the name. Um, and then I was informed by somebody that there were no dogs in Silesia, Selesnya didn't have dogs um and I said okay well what what do they have and they're like well they, they have wolves and I'm like could they be trained to watch things and they're like ah uh, maybe um and so we changed it to Watch Wolf and so Watch Wolf was the playtest name um and I think it just tickled people and when Matt, Matt Cavada did the names for Ravnica I think Matt just liked the name and so he kept it um so, but, well, watch wolf was just like me trying to sort of, uh, it, it's funny how when you're naming things, sometimes you're, you're, you're seriously trying to name things, and sometimes you're just trying to get a, a cute sounding thing, so um, watch dog became watch wolf, and then uh, poof, it became a card, and it, it ended up being, you know, as vanilla creatures go, uh, a pretty potent vanilla creature. Anyway, I've gotten all the way through W, and not a lot of Ys and Zs in the set, so I have completed my pass. So uh, five podcasts, not too, not too shabby. Um, so the plan, by the way, is uh, not immediately, but the next time I do uh, an overview, I will be doing Guild Pack, which I will talk about it and then talk about cards from it, and then I will be doing, uh, you know, a little time later, doing Dissension. So I'm, I'm doing original of Block. That's my next one I'm exploring. Um, anyway, I hope you guys... Um, I really, really enjoy Ravnica. I mean, when I look back at sort of sets I've made, Ravnica stands out as one of my sort of pinnacle sets. Um, it's funny, when you look back, there's a lot of little things I change, and you know, there's a lot of sort of technologies we've learned since then, um, where I'm like, oh, I, wow, it would been nice to have Death Touch in the set. But, um, but it is neat, and I'm very proud, and, and um, you know, it, it's funny how in the day, like, the guild concept, the idea of having... You know, just four two-color combinations in this set was kind of radical, and now just kind like, of passe. Like, what else would you do? Of course, how else would you do that? So, but anyway, I hope you guys enjoyed my jaunt through Ravnica and all the different cards. Once again, there is a Ravnica um, podcast, number four, uh, Drive to Work number four. If you want to hear the whole story of how it got made, um, I, I talked a little bit about when I talked about the cards. But anyway, guys, I hope you enjoyed it. It was fun walking through Ravnica. Uh, I'll be back in not super long with Guild Pact. But anyway, I'm now at Rachel's school, so we all know what that means. I means it's the end of my drive to work. So instead of talking magic, it's time for me to be making magic. I'll see you guys next time. Bye bye.